okay, we're going to go for it. Welcome to Blue Jays Happy Hour Live, episode 17, total Blue Jays Happy Hour, episode something that requires more math than I'm willing to do right now. Uh, we're talking today about a team that is coming off a win, but is definitely not look inspiring in recent uh, outings. But I am bearing the lead because we are joined today by Drew Fairservice, um, making this something of a reunion pod. Drew, how's it going? I am doing exceedingly well. I would even say I'm doing great. Thank you. Wow. All right. Good to hear. Yeah. <laughs> almost, for almost you, a reunion. True. I don't know what you're talking about, Nick, but, but okay, we'll go with that. Maybe I'm not allowed to refer to that <laughs> explicitly. Um, I'd say the vibe here is sort of like Stoughton has gone to university, and I'm maybe his university roommate, and Drew is maybe the friend from back home, and now like, we're all together here. And uh, I don't know. I don't know. Drew, you can tell me if Stoughton's changed. Uh, and become a pretentious dick because that can often happen when people go off to university. No, never. No. I, would, I would not <laughs> I, say. I that. had already set the bar so high. I feel pretentious <laughs> dick. So, if anything, it was the things that brought us together as uh, in in the proverbial high school was our our shared love of being pretentious dicks. So here we are. Good old blog jail. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, some people show up, you know, they don't need the university experience to get to that level. Drew, uh, obviously, you know, we're pros here. We're going to give you a chance to plug what you're doing, but obviously known right now for spin rate, which has gone through some exciting changes of late. You've had a chance to do pods alongside former Blue Jays starting pitcher Ricky Romero. What has uh, your recent spin rate experience been like? It's been great, uh, you know. Starting with Caitlin, had never done uh, anything like this. Caitlin McGrath, who, of course, is the uh, other co-host of, of Spin Rate. So we were kind of like learning alongside each other. And then having brought Ricky on board has been uh, has been really terrific. He's really um, down for anything. He's got a ton of energy and he's like super positive and the nicest guy. And he also has like a lot of really cool and interesting things to say about baseball, right? Like he's not just... Uh, some sort of like ex jock type of dude. We have some uh, some good chats, and he loves to indulge my in, my uh, uh, Shohei Otani uh, uh, infatuation <laughs> on and off the air. And he's just uh, yeah, he's he, it's cool. He loves he loves baseball. He loves the Blue Jays, and it's uh, we have a lot of fun. It is uh, to talk. It's I'm sure very. I don't know. It's odd. It's odd for me just to listen to you guys. It's like it's like fucking Ricky Romero. It's like. It's weird. I won't even lie. It's super weird. (laughs) Yeah. When we started out, I mean, like that was, uh, that was the era he was, I don't, I can't remember when his rookie year was, but it was definitely like, okay, this was JP Ricciardi finally made good. You know, he's got, all right, he's drafted a pitcher. He's drafted an all-star. He's got a guy who can really help us. Um, a lot of fond memories of Ricky and, and it did, you know, having talked to him on that other podcast, uh, yeah, really good dude. He's, he does great work. The thing I remember about Ricky Romero is like because he was a college pitcher, he was expected that he was going to move fast. And I don't, I don't remember exactly what his numbers were like in the minors. But then that one spring, because remember they had another guy named Davis Romero, so mm. it was like they were kind of Davis Romero was more of just like a kind of standard issue farmhand kind of guy. And then all of a sudden it was like, yeah, Ricky Romero made the team and he's going to like join the Blue Jays right out of spring. And we were all like, oh, okay, then, then here we go. Here's this guy that they draft. And of course, I know I won't say it to Ricky, of course, but the guy they drafted over Troy Dulowitzki. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and then here, but then of course, yeah, he had a he had some great great years, great great years with the Blue Jays, and again, he's um, obviously got such uh, such clear and unabashed affection for the franchise and for the city, so it's uh, it's infectious, and uh, 
and yeah, like again, had some had some great years. Played, made the All Star team. You know, got some, got some Cy Young votes the one year before injuries kind of knocked him down. But yeah, that's a, it's a, it is very uh, surreal um, to like have it just it, it, to, to have it a to have been doing it so long from a guy who was like a prospect to now like he's into this next phase of his career where he's talking about baseball and then and then here I am this sort of like oh, I've been along for the whole ride. It's weird. Also, they didn't get yeah they didn't give him service time then. I guess I don't I don't know if the, what CBA that was under. Uh, seems odd. Uh, not not the world we're currently living in. Yeah, exactly. I think it's safe to say that he probably doesn't listen to this podcast. So you're you're safe on any Troy Tulitsky content you want to put in there. <laughs> just for the record, um, no, it's an it's, it's an interesting thing, and I've had the exact same experience. Um, with uh, with JPR and Sevia in the past, and it is odd to have someone that you you know spend a lot of time watching and kind of investing hope and equity in, and then uh, suddenly they're alongside you. And another thing that's great in terms of having this with a, a player is there's just insights that I know sometimes, especially people like us, we can get on our high horse and we can get a bit snarky about some former players and the opinions they have, and sometimes they're brutal on broadcast, but there are things that we simply do not see and do not know uh, as a function of just not having played the game at that level, and I'm sure that you're getting to absorb and engage with that uh, with Ricky, which is a lot of fun. It, he told a story about his first uh, big league at bat. Obviously, he didn't do a lot of hitting as a college player and then in the minor league, so he had to take an at bat, and he had to face Cole Hamels. And he was just talking about like how how big he was, like how Cole Hamels was like, whatever, 6'4", and he's just standing out there, and Ricky was like, what? And he went back to the dugout, and he said he told he told Dwayne Murphy, like, I will never talk shit on a hitter ever again. Like, never <laughs> once. Like, he, like, he learned, he learned the, the, a very important lesson uh, really, really soon, really early on, uh, and, and, I, and I appreciate that, the, that honesty, because, yeah, it's, it's a different uh, kettle of fish when you've been in there a little bit. So we, we're going to get to some of the small stuff. I promised in my tweet and earlier talking with Stoughton off air that I want to talk a lot about Guillermo Martinez and what happened yesterday because it's just fantastic. Um, but when we bring people on the show, <laughs> we like to go big picture too. So what is your experience watching the 2020 Blue Jays been? It's kind of an, you know, it's a weird, inconsistent team. Who are the 2020 Blue Jays to you? What has been different from your expectations and what kind of feels right with what you thought coming into the year? They feel like less than the sum of their parts, I think, in a way, because when the Blue Jays were going well last year, and I think, you know, the previous kind of like really good Blue Jays team, it felt like they were just steamrolling people. Like the game would start and everybody in the in the stadium and in both dugouts knew that only like the one, the other team was going to win. Like everybody knew the Blue Jays were going to win. Um, they were just destroying people. The offense was firing on all cylinders, and they haven't done that. But so it makes the losses, I think, feel worse and feel more significant because you can easily convince yourself that they don't have another gear. Like this isn't a team. You, you could you could watch them and say this isn't a team in third gear. This is a team like this is all they are, which I don't think is true. But with when you combine the fact that they are winning games and like in the position that they would love to be in, but also not as good as the Yankees and not looking as good as they would expect. I think all those things sort of like 
combine together to make it like a weirdly um, like tense experience because you haven't seen them. You know, not everybody's been all the offense hasn't all been going at the same time. You know, the, the Teoscar Hernandez is like hit a, it's a bunch of home runs, but he kind of looks worse. You know, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. has been had some like Lourdes Gurriel Jr. stretches, but still like kind of looks worse. So, and then George Springer has like been up until recently healthy, but not quite himself. So it's like you can look at them and easily see. Well, there's so much more in there for them, but also you could look at them and be like, what if none? What if this is it? Right? What if this is who these who these guys are for this year even uh, alone? And and then knowing that the Yankees are out there, it makes it. A little bit scary, I think, maybe is how I would describe it. I think the tension you touch on is interesting, and that comes with expectation, right? Like in 2021, even though we knew that this was going to be a good team and when they made additions and kind of fixed up the bullpen a little bit, brought on Barrios and whatnot, that changed the bar a little bit. But we were just seeing how good these guys could be. Like you're seeing how good Vladdy could be for the first time, even though we all... I think everyone here was kind of a Vladiite to one degree or another. I know, you know, Drew probably famously number one in that regard. Um, but when you have that burden of expectation and you see, you know, like you said, Gurriel's had some really nice stretches. You know, Teoscar Hernandez, when he's been healthy, has had some good stretches, but it's just a little bit of an echo of what we saw last year. There is a level of concern that comes from that and a level of disappointment when. You know, they have been a successful team this season, by and large. I mean, no one's going to follow what the Yankees are doing right now. They've won a fair amount of games. But like you said, the feeling is it's kind of like 2016 after 2015, where things felt just like a little bit worse, even though you're largely dealing with the same players. Yeah, and I think that the whatever, the, you know, the, they won all the close games and they and they you would never sneeze at winning those games and they all count. But at the same time, um, the last kind of run against the Yankees and then against Chicago feels like it has exposed the, some of the flaws, right? The flaws that, that have felt for most of the year, like pretty apparent. Um, and so then it's like, okay, well, you know, fix those things. And then when it doesn't happen right away, which is how it never happens right away, you're still like, are you going to fix it? Like, yeah, when are we going to fix the team? Because, you know, there are fixes required, so fix it. But uh, And some of these are fixes that have gone back to last year, right? I mean, swing mm-hmm. and miss in the bullpen, the, the left-handed bat for the outfielder for anywhere that, you know, that ideally is in the middle of the lineup. Um, but, I mean, they were maybe – I mean, there's not that many guys who are unvaccinated, as we see based on all the teams that, that, uh, that come through and how, you know, relatively few guys are uh, ending up on the restricted list. But – um, so that, but that's, that's sort of, that's maybe an excuse, but that's, that's all that it is, is an excuse to, you know, we're seeing, we're seeing trades being made. Teams are, you know, maybe not so much on the relief market as yet, but, uh, you know, teams are, teams are figuring stuff out and, and finding guys that they think can fit and help them. Uh, we just saw the Giants make a trade today, for example, uh, the Dodgers have picked up guys, you know, they're, they've been really minor trades, but, uh, time is, uh, time is a wasted a little bit. Well, yeah, and, and I, I think, think that... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Okay, I was just going to say, and the relief thing is such an issue right now, and I, I wrote a piece about some guys they could go get, and it's easy to think back to last year when they worked on that fairly decisively, and they found guys you know, earlier than the trade deadline, and those guys helped them in a significant way. But that's not how business is usually done, 
And that's not to say that, like you said, Stoughton, time is a wasting. It's not to say they shouldn't go and get guys, even if they have to pay a premium. I think that's what you wrote in your piece today. Like, I did, yeah. Yes, this is not a good bargaining position, but fuck it. You've got to go and do it anyway because the team needs these type of players. I think the difficulty that they're running into is, is the fact that these expanded playoffs make it extremely likely that this team is going to make the playoffs. And the way the Yankees are going makes it very unlikely they're going to win the division. So their range of outcomes is small enough that I feel like this front office feels comfortable saying, uh, we can wait it out, we can survive this little bit, and uh, we can, you know, at, at the deadline when the prices come down a little bit, potentially, maybe not on the top guys, we can make a move then. And that's an understandable impulse, but it's definitely a frustrating impulse to see play out when the reality is maybe just, you know, throw one more prospect in there, throw one more player in there that maybe you didn't want to, but probably isn't a franchise changer and you can get help that you desperately need right now. I, I would not agree, could not agree anymore. I think, and I kind of made this point on the episode of spin rate that's on its way out right now, which is, you look at the Blue Jays' current bullpen and the acquisition cost for almost every single guy in there has been really low, right? Like they haven't, they haven't, you know, they've, they've done a good job of kind of doing what they've had to do and like grab guys where they can grab them and make kind of nice little trades. And, you know, they obviously the Adam Simber thing is like a tidy bit of business and so on and so forth. But like, if you want big dick donkeys throwing 100 miles an hour, <laughs> you, you, can't, you can't steal them. Right. There's only how many Clay Holmeses are there kicking around like that. I guess there just aren't that many, especially when you're in a, in a position where like you can't you don't have the luxury of bringing them along slowly. Right. Well, well, before they become the Yankees Clay Holmes, they're just like a regular guy who walks five guys per nine in the minor leagues and puts those 98. And then the Yankees get their grubby mitts on him. And then now he's unhittable. Um you know, the Blue Jays don't have that luxury of patience. So they need to like bring somebody in and he needs to fit the bill and be a monster. And that's going to be expensive. But like uh, to, to your point, Nick, this is the time to do it. And then to your point as well, Stone in your piece today, like this is when you got to do it. And this is why, because that's your need and this is your opportunity. So spend the money and do the thing that needs to be done. Yeah. It would be very frustrating if they, just sort of treaded water until the the deadline, just in order basically to drive the acquisition cost down of something that we've been able to see for, you know, a calendar year was something that they needed to get. And and it might work because like Nick, as you say, you know, the, the I think you're right about their playoff situation. It's, the market is definitely different because of the playoff. You know, the additional playoff teams also changes who's a buyer, who's a seller. Um, but man, yeah, don't, don't let the, you know, as good as the Yankees have been, it's still... You know, we're still June 23rd or whatever it is. Like, uh, there's a lot of baseball to be played. Like, don't don't just concede the division at this point. Yeah, and also to Drew's point about those, you know, those big firearm type guys. I don't believe that was the term that he used. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm not gonna take his style from him. He can have that. I will use, yeah, you know, more cautious terminology. Sure. Um, the donkeys, <laughs> the Blue Jays might have thought they had a couple of those with Julian Merriweather. And I know he's not someone you can ever count on. And we've said that a million times uh, and it's always been true, 
and Nate Pearson as well, who I think that, you know, they stretched him out and all that jazz in spring, but, you know, gun to their head if you asked him what role is Pearson going to play for you prior to the season when everything became a train wreck, not that everything hasn't always been a train wreck for him uh, in recent years, they probably would have told you that he's going to be a reliever too. So those were the guys that they had in that bucket. But, you know, like Drew says, you can't get those guys for free. They're not hanging around. Like, the teams prize those arms. And whether, like I said, whether it's one more piece you have to add to a deal that you didn't want to, and maybe, you know, it's someone young and promising who's five years away and whatever, in 2027, there's a really scathing blog about it. Like, it's not (laughs) the end of the world. And they do... I'm sure there are those. I'm sure that's the thing too. It's like they're hung, you know, they're not hung up on like, oh, we'll have to give away Ricky Tiedemann or something like that. To get, it's like there's, it's, if they're hung up on the acquisition costs for some of these guys, it's still probably guys that like nobody is thinking about, which is which makes it all the more frustrating. Yeah, it's not blue chip for a relief rental. And like, I'm just going to take an example from the piece I wrote today, like Daniel Bard with the Rockies, who. You know, he throws 98 still, or I guess again, because of the weird route his career has taken. And he misses a tons of bats, and he basically does all the things that they would be looking for a guy like that to do. Like, he's not going to cost you, you know, Tiedemann, like you said. He's going to cost you someone well down the line. And again, those people aren't, it's not like they're not valuable prospects, and one day it could be a problem. But it's not like you have to empty out the vault. Like, this isn't Barrios last year. Like, you can get someone who will help you, and you don't have to empty out the vault. The Red Sox might like to have Santiago Espinal in their mix right now, but they're not mad that they traded him for Steve Pierce. I think to, kind of to your point, like they have different goals at that time, just like the Blue Jays need to have different goals right now. Then like, what if we are missing like a utility infielder in 2026? Like we'll get another one, but we got to win the world series now. I think that's great. Nick, you'll probably switch the, uh, the topic here, but I uh, just want to remind everybody to have an listen. Uh, feel free to drop a question in the chat uh, or give us a call. We are we are at your service. Yeah, this is sort of a democracy, and you know, if you don't comment and you don't call, then you don't have your voice heard. So <laughs> think, think of it that way. Then you can't complain about what the content is, as far as I understand. If you don't vote, you can't complain. So if you don't call and you can't complain about the Guillermo Martinez uh, lane that I want to drive this truck into right now. Um, This is such a small, stupid thing. I want to preface everything I'm about to say and everything you guys are about to say about it by saying it's an incredibly small, stupid thing. It's also a remarkable thing because, I mean, for one, the Blue Jays get thrown out all the time, and I think it was Caitlin McGrath who had a tweet about how they have eight total ejections, and that's way more than anyone in the league. But it, sometimes when you think about ejections, you think of the heat of the moment. Like this is people got fired up because X wasn't going their way. Or even, you know, sometimes there's the just totally theatrical ones where the manager thinks his team just needs a boost and this is what's going to do it. And that's always kind of struck me as stupid. This was calc- like perfectly calculated. The idea is this umpire was so insanely incompetent. And we got a two-run <laughs> difference from the ump scorecards. Even that seems a little bit off when you think about how the, the hitters had to adjust their approach. Like, there's, n- you can quantify it, but you also can't quantify it because it, that strike zone just broke the boundaries of the game. Um, and so they they were so mad at this person that they said, "Well, when we go to home plate, there's something's going to happen. So we're going to send out a guy who doesn't, 
really have that much of a day-to-day game function. I'm not saying that Martinez doesn't talk to hitters in the dugout and stuff like that, but we're going to send in the guy who doesn't really have an in-game function because we know that something's going to happen. Or maybe Martinez asked to do it. We don't know the whole story. But I just think it's fantastic because it's so (laughs) petty and frivolous and needless. And it's the sort of thing that the Blue Jays as an organization kind of present themselves as being, you know, mature and reasonable and level-headed. And there's just a level of childishness to it that I don't think is on brand for these Blue Jays, but I also think is fantastic. It really was fantastic. <laughs> I don't know where I saw it, but somebody pointed out that he came out, which he doesn't ordinarily do. I think uh, I think Dan Schulman mentioned that on the broadcast, that he doesn't usually come out and do, do the lineup card. And not only did he, did he bring the lineup card out, but he didn't take his eyes off of Eddings. Like, stuck his hand out, was shaking his hand, gave him his mouth, gave him his, his ear full, continued doing it, shook hands with whoever came out from Chicago, didn't even look at him, and just kept, like, eyeball, like, eye-fucking Eddings right to death, which is just amazing. Like, and, and again, for him to, you know, whether or not it was, like, a collective decision, like, somebody's going to go up there and get tossed, and then, and then they said, Guillermo Martinez is like, I'll do it. Or he was like, I don't care, Charlie, I'm getting run today. And I, I, I'm doing it before the first pitch. Like, let me got, take that let that that lineup card out there. Either one works. If they were in, if they were if they were conspiring to do it, or if he was like a lone gunman. Either way, I'm all for it. <laughs> it yeah, it was fantastic. It's interesting. I mean, Nicky wrote about the, like Charlie's tactics this year. There's been a lot of talk about shifts. I mean, this is another area where they're an outlier and where they're doing something different, which is getting themselves ejected. And and you know the. Uh, they they talked about I think players have talked about and I think what Charlie got ejected the other night uh, talking about you know uh, standing up for the team and that's something that he hadn't really done and his face you know I don't know to his face but I know I've seen the criticism of it on on Twitter for sure uh, of people in years past like oh he's you know he's just too nice he's not getting ejected like the strike zone's terrible and he's not uh, you know he's just sitting on his hands and that would drive people nuts. And, uh, you know, never really, you know, the, as the as the sort of the, the ringmaster of vibes, the president of vibes there, never really fit with his thing. But here they are, you know, going out and, and they're they're doing outfield shifts and as much as they're getting run now, like in terms of like where they are relative to the rest of the league, uh, which I think is maybe an interesting angle on it. But also uh, if it had nothing to do with like broader strategy, if it was literally just pettiness and just like correct righteous anger about what had happened the night before. Uh, it was still delightful, still great, uh, and and there's no you know there's no right or wrong. There's no it, it, if it was if it was a collective decision or if it was Guillermo, like Drew said, it's like it was a lone gunman or if it was a conspiracy, whatever. More of this, please. Well, you pointed out in your piece that Guillermo Martinez is not a person that the Blue Jays fan base knows very well. Like we got some calls for his job earlier in the season when the team really wasn't hitting which is kind of silly because he was also the guy when they were absolutely crushing the ball in 2021. And so for this to be sort of his first star turn, for lack of a better term, <laughs> is really funny. Like you said, like this is kind of the thing that he's going to be known for, probably not long term, uh, but for now it is, and that's kind of funny. You mentioned the ejection thing you know, with Montoya. Like it didn't necessarily seem authentic to him. Early, and that was kind of things like, oh, well, that's not really Charlie. But this year, you know, we're talking about 69 games right now. And he's been ejected four times. That's as much as he has in the rest of his Blue Jays career combined. 
So I have a hard time believing that there isn't um, intentionality might be the wrong word, but I think he probably has internalized to some degree that whether uh, it's the players or the team or like even on a very, very small level, the fans, they want to see him, you know, seemingly fight for the team, uh, for lack of a better phrase. And he's doing that. And I, I have no idea how effective that is or meaningful that is, and you'll never quantify it. But, you know, we're all watching these games here, and I think people like to see it. And even Pete Walker, like, I don't watch enough, I don't know, Pirates ball and Padres ball. Like, there may be some other teams where there are pitching coaches who are like this, but I don't see a lot of pitching coaches uh, having these deep type of interactions with the umpire and getting tossed like that as well. And, you know, people have plenty of reasons they like Pete Walker, and more recently one that they don't. But uh, that's an interesting wrinkle as well. Yeah, he is. Uh, you know, that, it, it is very. It, it's very funny, and, and you know, what they've, they, they've sort of they've taken away. I mean, they kind of haven't, but a lot, a lot of, in a lot of respects, you know, replay has taken away the classic, you know, uh, manager demonstrative, uh, you know, just uh, uh, verbal assault on the umpires, and you know, the arguments that we that we used to see. Uh, so I guess you got to get a little creative about it. I don't know, uh, but it, it's. Uh, the way I the way it works in my mind is that like Ross Atkins read a book that said something like the intentionality of this is, is you know and went, went to Charlie over the winter. Well, I think if you if you ask people, poll them what they like in politicians, like a huge answer is someone who will fight for me, kind of regardless of what the ideological stance is. And this is not the direction this podcast needs to go. <laughs> but I'm just saying that like that is something that people respond to. And I feel like, you know, players potentially, but definitely Blue Jays fans feel like Charlie's fighting for the team. And that, again, we'll never know what that's worth. But if this particular incident, maybe it's all Guillermo, maybe none of it is linked. Like you said, the lone gunman theory. Um, If so, kudos. Great job. And if it's part of a bigger trend, that's great as well. Uh, Absolutely a no-lose situation. Uh, I don't think they needed Guillermo to win that game, so calculated risk paid off. Is this all we've got on the Guillermo thing? I mean, other than just <laughs> just saying it was it was brilliant. Man, I might have I might have oversold it. I mean, I thought I had more rant content in there. About, <laughs> I mean, we're all going to agree. Brilliance, but you know what? Uh, you know, sometimes it's a, it's a simple thing. So one th- and. One thing I do want to move on to, though, is uh, I feel like we, we did a little bit of a first impression on Gabriel Moreno in a previous podcast, but now we've had a little bit more time, and we also have an extra set of eyes in Drew. So maybe we can start with Drew. Now we've, we've settled in beyond just the, wow, look at that one throw. What is the early impression of Gabriel Moreno for you, and how are you feeling uh, You know, a few now we've got eight games and you know a week plus into the experience. It's a, a miracle of the eye of the eye test in a way because he and Alejandro Kirk do so many of the same things, but the package that it comes in in Moreno is way more athletic looking, so it looks or feels better. You know, at the risk of being bigoted. But like it, it, you know, he just he looks so athletic, and he is good at so many things that like. I know, it's not just it's not just look. I mean, you can look at his sprint speed. The, the difference between the two. I mean, there there is a yeah. there is a difference. Yeah, and and you know, 
my thing uh, that I've said before is that the like the throwing and the pop times that's great. It's it's good and it looks good and I love a, 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 a the, the catcher version of a big dick donkey who's just like hucking it down to second base like uh, like Jorge Alfaro or somewhere like that. But like the job, the bread and butter of that job is receiving and calling the pitches. So the thing that we've seen him do when we saw him doing his first start when he went wandering out there to talk to to Kevin Gosman was like, hey bro, like what's going on? You know when he was a bit wild and showing real a lot of willingness to do that. Um, and, and then just receiving the ball, um, well, receiving the ball ably, you know, at the bottom of the zone. I mean, he's not quite as good as, um, as Kirk, which is hilarious to say out loud, but like he's doing a good job with the receiving. The pitch calling thing is, is tough, um, because it's, it's tough to give him too much credit or too much blame. You know, I've been, um, loudly saying, you know, after the, after Gosman was having those rough starts, wanting him to work more at the bottom of the zone with his fastball. Um, and he's done that. Um, is that Moreno? Probably not. But like, you know, if, if nothing else, he's coercing in the moment he's getting him to throw them down there. So there's a lot to like. And, and again, the, the speed is, is, is hilarious and huge. But again, the biggest part of that job is the, how does he receive and how does he call the games? And, uh, you know, the reports are, are, are good and only getting better. So, uh, you know, I, I'm, there's, there's so much, so much to be, um, excited about. Uh, in terms of uh, of what he can do, and he just uh, that, and we were talking about the de- the defensive part. We're not we haven't even mentioned the fact that he's hitting like fucking four hundred. Like he's, <laughs> I mean, he's only come to play. Tw- he's had twenty nine plate appearances. He's only walked once, but like who cares? He just he is he has come as advertised, spraying the ball over the all over the park. Not hitting for a ton of power quite yet, but like if he can just get on base and and use his legs to grab out a couple extra bases here and there. That's a pretty good package for a catcher, uh, you know, the starter or backup or whatever his role might end up being. Yeah, no, I think that's true. I mean, he, he went down and got a ball, you know, way below the zone uh, in Tuesday or in Wednesday's game. Um, yeah, the, I mean, as a hitter, absolutely. I think you're right that the, the, the defensive stuff, has, I mean, they're, you know, it's not a full, a complete package, but it, it has been as advertised. And I think also the fact that we've seen Kirk, you know, the development that he's been able to make in the big leagues, uh, is sort of heartening, and, and you know, not everybody can do that. Obviously, like that's you know a huge credit to Kirk. I mean, I'm not even talking about the offensive side, which has been obviously bonkers. But like, uh, you know, the, the the receiving, the framing, as they call it. Uh, you know, even I think even the throwing, like the you know the stuff we've seen with the backpicks, where, where he's communicating. And I think Dan and Tabby were talking about that on the broadcast the other day about you know how Kirk talks about you know, communication with his infielders, and he's just sort of growing into that job and and those aspects of the job and. And that stuff that sort of has come about at the big league level. So I think you have to feel good about where the Jays are, maybe even as an organization, about help you know helping those guys. You know, we saw it with Danny Jansen too, who wasn't really a uh, a glove first catcher, who has now sort of become one. Uh, except now that he's also Jose Bautista when he's not hurt. But uh, yeah, I think that that's that's very very heartening about uh, where this could go with Moreno. I think as you pointed out, Drew, like the things that are most fun to see off the top, like the speed and even the arm strength, I'm not going to say that controlling the running game isn't important, but it's also a pretty small part of the package. Like those aren't the things that he's really, that are going to make him super valuable, that he's going to be remembered for, that are going to characterize what he contributes as an MLB player. And some of the other stuff, you know, the, the hitting, 
I think he looks fine. Like, you know, I think when he, before he came up, he kind of reminded me of an Espinal type in terms of a, maybe a 2021 Espinal kind of spraying the ball everywhere and no real power. And because he hasn't shown that for a while now, and I'm not saying that he's not going to have it, but it's just not part of the expected package just yet. Um, and probably will come around, but more than a lot of the other players who have come up for the Blue Jays and kind of in recent memory, he, he's playing such a difficult position and he looks totally comfortable. And part of that is his athleticism, um, the way he just looks good doing everything. But there's nothing about him, whether it's his approach at the plate or behind it, that makes it look like he's even remotely out of his depth, that this mm. is the first time he's doing anything. Like He doesn't have to hit a you know 500-foot home run. He doesn't have to play every day. He doesn't have to you know, hit in a prominent spot in this lineup. He just, he's just looking like an MLB, like a good MLB starting catcher, caliber catcher right away. And that, you know, this franchise, as much as, you know, many others, there's a dearth of young catching talent around the league. We're spoiled with Kirk right now, best catcher in the league, AL, uh, all-star starter, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But Moreno just looks like a starting catcher, and that is so hard to find. And, you know, even, you know, we saw Vladdy took a, quite a while to figure himself out. Bo's approach, you know, he was successful right away, but it always looked kind of wild and weird, and it was a while for us to come around to how that was. And Moreno just feels like he's arrived as this really polished product, and it's, you know, I'm sure he'll have some ups and downs, especially offensively, but there's nothing that was sort of promised about him, and the hype was pretty high, but there's nothing that's promised that you look at him in his first little bit and say, ooh, I don't know if that's um, what I thought I was getting. Yeah, and I, I think it, you, you, what your point is, it reminds me of other guys. You know, Kevin Smith came up last year, Otto Lopez last year, and there were guys who looked overmatched at times, uh, probably because they were and probably because they weren't quite ready to be here. I mean, Kevin Smith is, I think, in the big leagues now uh, with Oakland again. I don't, I don't know if any, I, I, I know he had a hot start. I kind of stopped paying attention to the uh, the AAA Oakland Athletics. But, uh, but, yeah, there are definitely guys who come up and you're just like, oh, I don't know if this guy should be here. Uh, Zach Collins very quickly did and then had a little hot run that has made him sort of a thing. Um, but you're right that Moreno's just come up and looked, uh, looked the part, which is, I don't, which I think is a credit to him and not easy to do. Uh, brief Kevin Smith update. Okay. Um, WRC plus in the majors, 47. Ooh. WRC plus in AAA, 41. Ooh. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he was never someone I really believed was anything. I know that he got that kind of late bump last year. I don't know. I don't need to take a victory lap on not liking Kevin Smith. But <laughs> let the record show I never liked Kevin Smith. Um, and they seemed to get a pretty good deal when they got rid of him. Before we get out of here, I think there's you know one more player that maybe not the most exciting, but we need to kind of circle back to, and that's – Ross Stripling, because another really strong outing. You know, it looked like he was going to have to do a lot of work yesterday, potentially with the way the bullpen was, and he gave them good innings. But it's interesting because coming into this year, there's every reason to believe that he was at best a fine fifth starter, and maybe that is what he is at the end of the day. But I find the Ross Stripling belief index uh, creeping up, uh, and that's not somewhere I expected to be heading into the year. Is there any sort of optimism in this here chat in this here podcast that Ross Stripling has made tangible improvements and we should feel better about him than we did coming into 2022. 
How, how bad was was the person to feel about Ross Stripling? I think that he had ably done a good job, a challenging job. Well, um, I think that that realistically, he's perhaps you know in my mind moved himself from like the swing starter to like the fourth starter, which is you know by pitching well, but also because the other guy has pitched himself nearly out of the rotation. So um, I think that that he's done a good job of, well, number one, keeping the ball in the ballpark, you know, you know, in a rather crazy way compared to his, his, uh, his history. And, and then he's keeping the ball, you know, on the ground a bit. So, I mean, I think there's a lot to like about him as a guy who can do two different kinds of jobs and, and has done a, a, more than that, even for the blue Jays. And you know, at, at this point, you're going to have, for me, you're going to have to pry him out of the rotation. Like, what, what's it going to take for him to look or, or appear as though like this is something he's not built for? I don't know. Maybe, maybe I have uh, I have selective memory, but I don't remember feeling anything but but ter- uh, even though he was bad for a while uh, <laughs> in twenty twenty. Anyway, I, I'm uh, I don't know. I feel good. I feel good about him. I think that he's like a, he's a guy who is uh, who has done a lot of jobs really well, and I think it's hard to to, to discredit him and. Maybe my confidence is high because he doesn't. I don't know. He's he. It's not even like a Hinge and Ryu where like you're wincing the whole time. Like that's not how I feel with 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 roster like, hey. <laughs> Well, we weren't wincing at first with Ryu, but uh, later True. Uh, it has been. Well, I'll, I'll put this. I'll put this to you to both of you. Well, for, first, you mentioned the other guy. Uh, I did tweet tweet, which I think is a terrible idea because he can't. You know, he can't throw strikes. But Kikuchi can miss bats. Uh, maybe he's maybe he's a bullpen option at some point. Um, I think I think with the contract that he's on, that's probably uh, that's probably a little ways down the road. I don't think that we're going to see that uh, for the for the the command thing and the contract thing. But also, uh, you do sort of you just you feel like the body language and the tone when they, when when Charlie and Pete talk about him is uh, uh, not one of, of of like oh it's just it, it's just around the corner. It's maybe one of a little bit more frustration. And then I'll add to that. But somebody was tweeting with me today, and I think Dan mentioned this on the broadcast on Wednesday, uh, about extending Stripling. And uh, someone was like, I, I, I was reticent to go beyond two years with Ross Stripling. <laughs> I think I need to see a lot more of, of this, as much as I feel that, it, that it's been, I'm with Drew, I think it's been really nice. But uh, I'd love to hear both of your takes on, on those questions. Well, the word Ross Stripling extension is not something that we would have contemplated before. Uh, and, you know, like Drew said, he's had utility in multiple roles. He's an understandable guy to keep on the roster. He's also someone who coming into the season had two years, 2020-2021, where he had like 150 innings of zero war baseball. Like he has not yeah. generally been the type of guy you want to give money to, especially because he does have – you know, veterans who can give you any innings get decent money uh, in free agency. And I'm not saying that they shouldn't consider it at all, but it, it is kind of interesting. It shows how far we've come because it's not something that you would have, you kind of would have assumed that they're going to run them through 2022. And if they can get them cheap again, maybe for the same role, consider it, but he'll probably find a job elsewhere. The thing that there's, I'm of two minds. Mind one, I don't know if they need to have numbers. Um, is that he has made some real changes. He, you know, he's throwing the changeup a lot more. He's throwing the slider more. He's less so trying to be that guy who 
is creating whiffs at the top of the zone. He's not throwing, you know, 50% fastballs anymore when he doesn't have a great fastball. So there's some encouraging stuff there. Um, it's not like he's developed an amazing new pitch. It's not like he's going to, you know, he's brought out some crazy knuckle curve or a new grip or something. He's missing a ton of bats, but he's doing things a little bit differently. That helps explain the ground outs, which are a big part of it. The flip side of it is that we saw this last year. He went on a similar stretch. I think it was about 46 innings where he was really, really good. And during that stretch, he didn't really strike anyone out and it was all on balls in play. And we're a little bit more sophisticated now with our, you know, our X ERAs and our stack cast and all that jazz, but guys still can get a little bit lucky on balls in play. And so when he is way better than he's been in the last two years, and the main reason for that um, is that he's getting these results despite not really striking anyone out. That's, gonna always cause me to be a little bit nervous i think he's you can see the thing that i believe in or that i'm happy to invest in is like a tangible change and you see him throwing his curveball a lot more and you see him throwing his um uh change up a lot more sorry not his curveball a slider throwing his slider more throwing his 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 change up more throwing his fastball less so you know, maybe being a bit of a poster child for like baseball in 2022, where like there's no such thing as a fastball count and you can't just sit back and, and wait on his fastball, which doesn't spin, you know, in a, in a, in an elite way. Um, and, and when you look at his like stat cast page, it's that chase rate number jumps off the yeah. page for me yeah. because it's like not in the 91st percentile. So is it that the, the book that most hitters have on him is that he's going to come with his fastball or, or, or pitch off of it. But now he's throwing a slider and getting guys, you know, way swinging at balls when before they were able to kind of square up strikes. So, you know, I think you're, you're right to have to be uh, reserved in your anointing as Ross Stripling is like a, you know, a, a candidate for a long-term extension because it's going to, you know, he'll have to get through another adjustment period where the league is like, Oh, okay. This is, this is his, his thing now. So we'll we'll approach him a little bit differently, and then see how he can he can uh, navigate through that when maybe they're not chasing his slider or, or whatever the situation may be. Yeah, I mean he's the anti donkey to use the parlance of this particular podcast, and so <laughs> for that reason, um, it's always going to be a little trickier. And I, honestly, I think this is a conversation we may end up sort of coming back to throughout the year because. He is tricky to invest in, but like you said, he's showing tangible signs. And, you know, like we, we talked about Kikuchi a moment ago. If we had something to point to with Kikuchi and he's like, he's doing this, and suddenly his results were way better. And initially, uh, it looked like we had that with sort of the slider and the cutter becoming a single pitch. And we're like, oh, they figured out Kikuchi and he's doing great. Um, and obviously things haven't gone as smoothly from then. But because Kikuchi's got that big velocity from the left side uh, and a little bit more movement on some of his stuff, you're like, you're, it's easy to jump on that train. And this train is a little bit trickier to jump on. Um, but maybe the Blue Jays will do it in the form of an extension. And that would be the sort of thing that I never would have guessed heading into 2022. But there's a lot of things I never would have, would have guessed about this team heading into 2022, <laughs> that's for sure. Well, you know what? Ross Stripling will tell you whether Ross Stripling is a good investment or not. He's, uh, <laughs> he's a go-to guy. These are yeah. These are tricky times. You could probably use a Ross Stripling just in the building. I don't know if as a pitcher or not, but uh, he can help you navigate the volatility. Of, yeah, uh, I, I suspect he'll get he'll be better compensated than most MLB front office staff when he uh, starts playing with millionaires' money uh, when, he, when his career's over. 
All right. Well, that was that's all that I had in terms of confidence intervals. We checked in with Ross Stripling and Gabriel Moreno, the two biggest, uh, most important players to the Blue Jays' success. We've covered uh, Guillermo Martinez, and uh, we checked in with Drew, which was an absolute pleasure. So I think we will leave it here. And uh, thanks, everyone, to listening in, whether it's live or you guys are coming and listening later on. Um, we obviously appreciate you continue to do all the subscribing and reviewing and rating and the stuff that algorithms like. We like it as well, and uh, we will see you next week. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, Drew. Uh, thanks, you. Thank you, gentlemen. My pleasure. Always a pleasure.